primary care knowledge boost changes to two-week weight lower GI pathway. So, hello and welcome to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. We hope you're all doing well. Um, we're delighted to be able to bring you this conversation uh, with us and Dr. Sarah Taylor about uh, the changes that are up and coming to lower GI pathways for cancer. Yes, um, Sarah's been on a, the um, podcast quite a few times and always has amazing advice um, and chat whenever she's come on. Um, and today, like we've said, it's all about um, the changes um, with the two-week weight lower GI cancer pathway. And she talks to us through now what the actual pathway is what the new pathway is um who gets fit testing who doesn't who we should refer what we should do with people that we're not sure about and we go through a couple of um, anonymous cases um to try and consolidate all of the new information yeah it was great to chat through the few cases to try and give new examples of how the guidelines will work in practice and um, we definitely got a lot out of this chat and we hope you do too and we'll be back at the end to share our learning points um, so would you like to introduce yourself, Sarah, um, for anyone who hasn't heard your previous episodes with us and tell us a bit about your current role? So I'm Sarah Taylor. I'm a GP in Bode Medical Centre in Fallowfield and I'm the Cancer Research UK Early Cancer Diagnosis Lead for the Greater Manchester Cancer Alliance. Brilliant. So you're perfectly placed to come and talk to us today about all of these changes, um, which is why we wanted to get you on. Um, so we thought we'd just headline with that. So what are the changes that have happened around two-week weight guidance for the lower GI pathway about referring and, and the FIT test role? So it's changed as of the beginning of this year so that you should only refer a patient on a lower GI pathway if they've got a positive FIT or they've got an anal or rectal mass or anal or rectal ulceration. So it's in some ways it's better because it's an awful lot simpler and there's no age guidance on it at all. You'd refer if they've got a positive FIT and you could do a FIT whenever you've got any concerns because it's a fairly easy test to do. Yeah, brilliant. Well, I say, yeah, brilliant. Lots to take in, really, <laughs> in terms of how we do things. So it's great that we've got you to sort of talk us through. Um, so why are we making the changes, Sarah? So the British Society of Gastroenterologists did a big review. I think they reviewed over 13,000 studies and came to the conclusion that actually FIT is a really good indicator of lower GI cancers. Um, and actually, it's much better than symptoms or um examination. And so it's a really good tool for us to use in deciding who might have a lower GI cancer. Of course, it's really important the whole way through to remember that patients who have symptoms such as weight loss, abdominal pain um, may have other cancers as well. So it doesn't exclude those, but it is very good at deciding which patients should be referred for possible lower GI cancers. What, what do you think the advantages are of changing? I think it, it, it's a, I know it doesn't, uh, some people don't like doing it, but it is a fairly easy test. It's one stool sample. Um, you can use it in any patient. Uh, so it's got a particular advantage in those patients who we always used to struggle a little bit with. Those who are a little, who are younger than the guideline ages, what should you do? Do you refer them? Um, you know, I think there's, it's a really big advantage now that we can just do a, a fairly straightforward test and risk stratify these patients. There's a patient I spoke to who is a um, professional person in his early 40s who went to see his GP with some change in bowel habit and a little bit of bleeding, was told that he was very unlikely to have a lower GI cancer, felt extremely reassured by this, symptoms got worse, um, and he was eventually diagnosed with quite advanced um, bowel cancer. Well, actually, at the, at the first instance, if he'd had a fit test, 
that would have been positive and he would have been investigated. So I think it's really, it's a good test because it is pretty reliable. It's better than things like chest x-rays, CA125 that we use all the time. So it's good. Um, obviously, there are things that we need to think about. Um, and like any test, it's not 100%, but it's good and useful in almost every patient. Yeah, and I think like what you said, it's important that it's it's comparable to um, just what we had before, which was people reporting symptoms and examination. So if it's better than that, um, even if it's not 100%, then it's still very useful. It is, it is. And I think, you know, it, it's like everything in general practice, isn't it? It's weighing up lots of different things to make a decision as to what you're going to do. And the FIT's a really useful tool in deciding what you're going to do next. Um, but as always, with changes, um, there's a lot of caution. Um, can you talk us through what some of the risks might be um, with this change? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that worries me the most is um, patients not returning the test. Um, so we've, yeah. we've, we've done an awful lot of work, I think most practices have over the last few years in tracking and safety netting two-week wait referrals. So we'll know who's been referred, we'll know whether they've been seen, all of those things. This is almost replacing that two-week wait referral in an awful lot of patients. So I think that practices need to think about how they're going to make sure that patients A, return the test and B, that the results are acted on. Uh, and Because I, I do worry that some of our, particularly some of our patients who don't like the idea of doing the test or find the instructions difficult to follow or any of that might not return the test. Uh, so I think it's just, that's the biggest thing that I think we need to think about. Sorry, the other thing that I think that I said a few minutes ago, actually, it doesn't exclude non-lower GI cancers. So a patient with abdominal pain, weight loss, a woman could have an ovarian cancer or a pancreatic cancer, um, an upper GI cancer, anything like that. And so you just need to think, remember what it's testing for and think that it's not going to actually exclude those. Yeah, that's a really good point. I was just thinking through that if um, in the previous um, setup, you'd um, referred someone on a two-week pathway, you would have had quite a serious discussion with them. They probably would have been quite primed to definitely attend that appointment. But it feels like the test doesn't feel as serious in a way, so people might not get the seriousness of the situation. Yeah, and I think that, that, that that's absolutely right. And when I've looked at reviews of cases in the past, the same thing happens often with chest x-rays. Patients don't necessarily mm. go. And with some blood tests that, you know, patients who are anemic and you're concerned about that, that, that there's an issue with a lot of tests. So it's going to be the same with the FIT. And I think it's, I think it's important that we explain to patients why we're doing it um, so that they do carry on and have it done. And we have for those practices that use Accurex, there is actually a text that you can set up to send, which set, which you can send on the day that you see the patient saying, this is an important test, please do it. And it's got the CRUK, fairly straightforward instructions on how to do it. And then it schedules a text to go three days later saying, this is still a really important test, please do it. Yeah, oh, that's clever. Yeah, so it's there. You have to, if you're on Accurex, you have to search all the way down fit and get past all the fitness for exercise and fit note things. And it's right at the bottom. It's quite easy to miss. That's really good to know. Um, so like we see someone, they come in with what would currently be a really straightforward referral for a two-week wait um, using the lower GI pathway. Um, so for example, like a 70-year-old with rectal bleeding, weight loss, a change in bowel habit, 
do we still have to wait for the fit test results or can we not just refer straight away still? No, we should be we should be doing the fit for all of those patients. Mm. So you can do the fit in patients with rectal bleeding. It's a helpful test in patients with rectal bleeding. It's useful to suggest if they can do that, they take the sample from a section of the stool that hasn't got any blood in it, but actually you can do a, t- um, a test on those. And then the suggestion is very strongly from the um, lower GI consultants that actually if the fit is negative they don't need a two-week weight lower GI referral you can still go ahead and make a routine referral and they'll be seen um, and prioritized fairly quickly for uh, colonoscopy if they've got those symptoms I think the other thing in those patients is also to think possibly about doing a fecal calprotectin um, because obviously particularly in younger patients they might have inflammatory bowel disease as well so but you get you should be weighted with all of those patients you should be doing the fit test and only referring on on a lower GI pathway if the fit is positive. On the, yeah, the two-week weight, lower GI pathway if it's positive, yeah. Yeah, sorry, not, yes, sorry, not routine, yes. Um, Yeah, sorry, uh, just another point would be um, the risk that it's maybe a false negative test. Um, How likely is that to be the case? It's, the risk of false negative is obviously there like any test, um, but it is quite low. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why if you've got somebody with, so if you've got somebody with, non-GI symptoms or non-very specific GI symptoms. So uh, as I say, abdominal pain, weight loss, then I would definitely refer them on a non-site specific pathway. If you've got somebody with GI symptoms and a negative fit, then I think it's absolutely reasonable to make an urgent non-two-week weight referral. Um, And they will then still get a colonoscopy, but it won't be on the two-week weight pathway. um, And they will be assessed and seen just in, in a slightly slower time frame. And actually, one of the consultants was telling me recently that the doubling time for colorectal cancers is quite slow. So actually, that is a safe thing to be doing. Um, and when you say the non-site specific um, pathway, that's the um, when you've got something that you're not too sure, but you need to get it investigated. I always think that it's any cancer where you can't be sure where it's come from. So if you've got a symptom mm-hmm. that spans more than one pathway, like abdominal pain, weight loss, anorexia, iron deficiency, anemia, a lot of these things, um, if you refer them on the non-site specific pathway, and every hospital in Greater Manchester now has a fully established service, the, the forms on all of the GP referral systems. Um, and so if you've got a patient who's got more non-specific symptoms but you're still concerned don't be reassured by the fit go ahead and refer on the on the non-site specific form and they will probably then as their one of the reasons for doing the fit is to prioritize first investigations so um if they've got a negative fit but concerning symptoms they'll go ahead probably and have a ct first whereas if they've got a positive fit they'll have a colonoscopy and i think from probably for a resource point of view it's good but also from a patient point of view i think i'd probably prefer to have a ct than a colonoscopy so i think it's, it's just something else to help you make decisions. That's a nice way to frame it, actually, as well. I hadn't thought of that. We thought it might be useful to um, run through some cases uh, just to illustrate the changes. And um, we've just made these up um, to um, kind of give us a bit of an overview of some tricky patients. Um, so we've got Mr. Fung, who is a 55-year-old gentleman with a four-month history of intermittent abdominal pain and diarrhea without a clear pattern or a trigger. Um, he hasn't had rectal bleeding or weight loss. Um, he came at Christmas for a four-week history of a cough that's now settled. Um, his stool culture and his fit are negative, so we've been good and we've done the fit. Um, where do you think we go from here? I think I would also um, 
do some blood tests because I think that if he's anemic, particularly if he's got an iron deficiency anemia, then you'd want to go ahead and refer refer him. Um, and you said, sorry, you said he's got no weight loss. He's got abdominal pain. I think that if he's yeah. got persistent abdominal pain and diarrhea, you would probably with a negative fit um, probably want to go away and refer him on a non-site specific pathway. Sometimes things like pancreatic cancer can present like this. If he was a woman, I'd also want to check a CA125 and maybe do an ultrasound. You know, they could have an ovarian cancer. So I think a 55-year-old with four months of abdominal pain and diarrhea and a negative fit, I would refer on a non-site specific pathway. Brilliant. And you answered my next question, which was if he had an iron deficiency anemia and raised platelets on the bloods, what would you do? But and then I would be even more concerned about him. There are some really strong stats about particularly men and um, raised platelets. And I think a man over the age of about 55 with raised platelets has something like a 13% risk of having a cancer with lung and colorectal being the highest. So I think we should always take those seriously. And I would just refer on the non-site specific pathway. They're so well geared up for assessing these patients. If he's then got a negative CT thorax abdopelvis, then you become very much more reassured again. Um, and, you know, we're still supposed to be referring with a 3% cancer risk. So he's probably got 3%. Yeah. And interestingly, so that's men, is it, but not in women? It's, it's, it's significant in women, but not as significant in women as it is in men. Um, men, it's, it's quite a high risk. Um, I could find out. In fact, do you link on your podcasts to studies? I can try and find the most recent yeah. study and send it to you. Yeah, that'd be fab. Thank you. So that's quite a high risk, isn't it, in somebody? And then if you throw in another factor, like you've got a smoker or something like that, you know, yeah. just become quite a high risk patient. So it's easier just to refer and get them properly assessed. Yeah. Um, we've got another patient for you, Mrs. Hagel. Um, she's 65. And she complains of constipation um, and it's quite new over the last few months. So the last time she had the constipation, she got some uh, fresh red rectal bleeding and some lower abdominal pain. Um, we completed a fit, we chased it, we made sure it came back and it was 12. Well, I mean, the the, the guidance is a fit greater than 10 mm-hmm. has a, a lower GI two-week weight referral. So I think probably on that basis, I mean, I think she's probably very unlikely to have a lower GI cancer, but I think we should, you know, we should stick to guidelines and levels. And if the level that we're supposed to refer at is over 10, then I think I'd go ahead and refer her. Yeah, perfect. So we presumed you'd say that. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, she went ahead, she had her colonoscopy and that was negative. Um, and she had some diverticulosis. Two years later, we're seeing her back. She's got quite similar symptoms after being reasonably stable with her bowels afterwards. Um, Where do we go from there? Because two years is that it's starting to get slightly uncomfortable. It is. I think you do. I I think you do. You you do her fit again if she's got. um, And I think you probably just work on the basis of the fit. If the fit's greater than ten, you do another two week weight referral. I think you know if it was a year later, you'd probably feel much more reassured by the colonoscopy. Um, But actually, if it's two years later, I think you repeat the fit um, and then refer. We're starting to develop a lot more um, and work quite a lot more on advice and guidance in Greater Manchester. And I sort of think that these are the sort patients that actually if we had reliable fast t- turnaround advice and guidance they're the sort of patients that you want to then email a consultant and say look she had this two years ago her fit was 12 two years ago her fits 13 14 today or it's mm. it, w- what would you suggest we do do next and I think that that's something that we, we're working on we're not quite there yet but we're working on it but I think you just treat it as basically as though it's a new symptom yeah um 
I was going to ask in terms of um, just bits about the fit test and um, the results and things. Firstly, how often would you recommend repeating it? You mentioned about kind of a year there, maybe being reassured, two years. I know it's a bit of a broad question, but when's it worth repeating? Uh, I think it depends on whether they've had a colonoscopy before, doesn't it? So if they've had a colonoscopy um, and they've got pretty much the same symptoms, maybe a little bit different, then probably... Certainly a year, I'd be reasonably reassured by the colonoscopy if the symptoms were the same. If the symptoms had got significantly worse, then like every test, you know, colonoscopies aren't 100% reliable. Sometimes they don't get a great view because of patient preparation and this sort of thing. I think I would just go ahead and refer somebody else who's got more experience than us can then make that decision as to whether they do another colonoscopy or whether they are reassured by things. So I think these are the ones that are really difficult. But I think if, if things are a little bit iffy and you're not sure the best thing to do is to refer and just ask for somebody's opinion um, and it is reasonable to repeat the fit test if the things change so that's useful um and in terms of is there anything um different in terms of age um wise is it always a cutoff of 10 um is, is that just the level it's just a cutoff of 10 for everybody, yeah. But it's really important to remember that the screening cutoff is very much higher. So the screening cutoff is 120 in England at the moment. So somebody who's got a negative screening fit um, could have a level of 95. Um, so if they become symptomatic, you should repeat it and do a symptomatic fit. It's a, it's the same test, but the cutoff levels are different. And it's really important not to be reassured by a, a screening fit. Yeah, that's a really good point. Another hypothetical case occurs to me, Sarah, that I think you've already partially answered. But say we have a patient in um, one of the higher age brackets over 65 who's got persistent unexplained diarrhea. Um, we've done a, a fit test and a calprotectin and they're both negative. There's no iron deficiency anemia. Their platelets aren't raised, but this is quite... A concerning symptom that's really quite out of the blue and is um, very much affecting their life. Um, where would you go with somebody like this? It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I think that one of the things that it's worth checking is thing. Um, one of the things that, that when I did some work with the pancreatic consultant, he was saying just uh, make sure you ask about steatorrhea because he said that patients often don't volunteer it. If the patient's got steatorrhea, I would definitely do a non-site specific two-week wait referral. Um, if they haven't. I think it's one of those where if I couldn't speak to a colorectal surgeon or a gastroenterologist to get some advice or, or email and get some reliable turnaround advice and guidance, I think I would probably still refer on a non-site specific two-week wait. People might shoot me down for that. But I sort of think if you've got something that just isn't, you haven't got an explanation for, yeah. you need one, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the kind of antennae question, I think. Really. It is, isn't yeah. it? It's the GP, uh, what's it called? It's not, they don't, people don't like to call it GP gut feeling, but um, it is that sort of thing, isn't it? It's yeah. that feeling that somebody isn't quite right and you can't work out why. Um, and I think that that's, that's a reasonable thing to do. Yeah, good. Um, so is there any support um, available, Sarah, for clinicians to help transition to this new way of working or are, are things like this it? We've rewritten the re referral form, so that's there. Um, we've 
redone the module on Gateway C, which has got some up-to-date guidance on as well, which helps. Um, We've done a fit negative pathway, which should have been circulated to all practices. And then things like, obviously, the AccuraX text, I think, is really helpful for making sure that patients come back. And in all the practices in Greater Manchester, they do all have access to the safety netting template, um, which I use quite a lot. So, if I do an investigation on a patient, I can put in... um, an alert for two weeks later that says I, I've done a fit and I want their result in two weeks. And one of our secretaries does a weekly search and lets me know if the patient that I've asked for this test to be done on hasn't done it or the result isn't back or we haven't acted on it. So it can, it's a searchable reminder, which is really useful. You can use it for PSA, you can use it for symptoms as well. So if you've got a patient with weight loss that you say you want to review four weeks down the line and they don't come back, you can put in that you, you know, some patients you know will come back, some you feel a bit unsure as to whether they will and and you can actually put that in it you can put symptoms in as well so it's a really useful thing to use I think because it I know a lot of GPs will task themselves but that always worries me about people going off and not being able to find the tasks and um, whereas something that's searchable means that the whole team are involved um, so that I think that's a really useful resource as well. That's fantastic and what is that at QRX, did you say? No, it, it's it's a safety netting template that um, it, practices can install, but we are working with the GM data team just to get it installed on practices as well. Most practices in GM should have it, but if they haven't, if anybody contacts either myself or Ali Jones, um, we will make sure that it's all forwarded to them with instructions on how to install it and how to search on it, because I'd have no idea how to search on it yeah. without the instructions. Brilliant. One more thing for the resources. We have, we've got the Gateway C infographics and the short video as well, the fast fact videos, which have all been updated to make sure that they have the up-to-date guidance on there. So the fast fact video is a five-minute summary of the webinars that we've done, which has got up-to-date stuff to make sure that it's got the new guidance in. Brilliant. Well, this has been fantastic. Such a good overview of the changes. Um, Do you have any hit home learning points that you want our listeners to take away? I suppose it's that patients should only be referred on the lower GI suspected cancer pathway if they've got a positive fit, anal mass, anal ulceration, rectal mass, rectal ulceration. I think always that a fit doesn't exclude non-lower GI cancers, that we need to think hard about making sure that patients return the samples and we act on the results. Just always remembering that the screening level is way higher than the symptomatic level, so don't be reassured by a screening test. And I think the last thing is just there will be those occasional patients that we cannot whatever we do get to do a fit test. Um, If you cannot do that, then just in the free text box of the referral form, just explain to the, make the the lower GI referral, suspected cancer lower GI referral, and explain why you cannot have a suspected cancer referral rejected. So just because you haven't done the fit, the referral can't be rejected. But I would encourage people to do it if at all possible. But we all know there will be that one patient who you'll have asked to do it about three or four times. You'll be quite worried about them and they just won't do it. Yeah. That's really useful to know. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. So Lisa, now that it's just us two, um, what are your learning points from what we've discussed today? Um, well, obviously it's quite a 
quite a big change that's happening. Um, so it was, it was interesting to chat through that. Um, but I did think it was reassuring that, um, she was chatting about the fact that, um, fit is, um, better than symptoms or examination, um, in terms of assessing these patients. And um, when you're thinking from a lower GI point of view, always with that kind of focus on. Um, but I did think that was interesting. Um, and also the fact that the, the kind of positives, the advantages of it are that it's an easy test for people to do. It's not very restrictive um, for people. It's not even like getting a blood test. It's actually quite simple to do. So positives um, of it. Um, I can maybe let you talk about some of the weaknesses. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I think I am quite apprehensive about the changes because, um, well, one thing that a, a different GP mentioned was that it, there is a bit of onus there on primary care clinicians to be able to examine for rectal masses quite well. Um, and the concerns that that raises in terms of making sure that that's done and the reliability of that. Um, and then the main concern I had was the scope for things to get missed by relying on the fit test. So particularly if people don't hand back fit tests, um, are we going to have the systems in place to um, to definitely be able to follow those up? Um, so definitely thinking that we need more robust systems for this to work and that's going to involve a bit of change um at a time that's quite tricky in general practice so yeah definitely challenging but hopefully um i mean the whole thing being that the non-specific two-week wait pathway is going to be the go-to really in terms of some of the other people that i might have referred initially back in the day when we didn't have the non-specific two-week wait that i would have sent on the uh, lower GI pathway that I would might have been thinking actually you know is this slight change in bowel habit and weight loss lower GI or is it pancreatic or is it intra-abdominal um is it a neuroendocrine tumor um you know and, and any kind of differential for cancers in the abdomen so um yeah I, I think it's great that we've got that in place so that really helps but yeah definitely some some work to be done to make sure that it's as safe as it possibly can be and like you said i think there is obviously that worry at the beginning um and it puts a lot of kind of pressure on at the front loading for getting systems in place to make sure that the safety nets are there and that everything's going to work but once it's in place it should then become easy but yeah i think that 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 initial changeover might be a little bit difficult and there may be a little bit more chasing like you said to make sure that people don't slip through and that that um safety netting template that she chatted about is great um if that could be set up as a way of kind of filtering the patients that you don't want to miss on a practice-wide setting rather than individual people taking that yeah weight loss psa's ca125 um and i'm trying to think if i wrote it oh yeah not to be reassured by the um the screening fit test so if someone comes in and said oh but i did my screening test last month and it's come back negative um, that's really good um, to have reiterated that. Yeah, to hammer home that message, definitely. Yeah, so thank you very much, everyone, for listening and to listening right to the end. And we appreciate it. Um, if you've got any feedback or comments, we'll leave our contact details in the episode description, along with all the links that we've mentioned in the episode. Till next time. On Primary Care Knowledge Boost. This podcast has been able to continue to date due to the support of GP Excellence, Wigan Borough CCG, Greater Manchester Training Hub and the GP Fellowship Programme, as well as Greater Manchester Health and Social Care Partnership. Just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were recorded in 2023. 
Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. The content is based on our interviewees' opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast.